Let's make real estate for everyone. Welcome to the Addy Podcast. At Addy, we're on a mission to enable every human to be a homeowner. On our podcast, we share real estate investing best practices, industry news, and advice from real life experts. Keep up to date with what we're doing at addyinvest.com. I'm Katie Kernahan, and today on episode number 17 of the Addy Podcast, we talk with Dave Parcell, CEO at Local Intel, about the impacts this pandemic has had on economic growth and development in Canada and how that translates to real estate. Dave is co-founder of Local Intel, an award-winning government technology company making online economic development tools that hundreds of organizations have added to their website to promote their local advantages, assist local businesses, and monitor trends. Thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Um, Perhaps just to get started, if you could tell us a bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's great uh, great to have the opportunity to to, um, share a little bit more about myself and, and Local Intel. So um, yeah, first thing, probably uh, everyone will notice is the accent. Um, so that's uh, Tasmania, Australia. So uh, born and bred there, home of the Tassie Devil. Um, but um, but yeah, married a Canadian girl, and uh, as we do, we we follow our our wives where they tell us to go. So uh, yeah, currently based in uh, in Calgary. But um, yeah, my road to to this uh, this point was a bit of a zigzag. The, I guess the the short version is. Uh, after uh, a stint in, in the military, um, I then, for some reason, went and did way too much university uh, around commerce and um, uh, city planning and then public uh, administration. But, um, yeah, after uh, some, some time in uh, banking uh, and then uh, and then insurance, I decided that uh, all that was, uh, wasn't quite for me. So... I made a big career change and uh, became a student strategic planner and uh, in, in Sydney, in one of the Sydney municipalities there. So I took a massive pay cut, but it was the best thing I ever did. And then I spent about 10 years working in local government there around um, city planning, strategic planning. And it was there that I got my first taste of, of economic development. After that, got poached and moved across to uh, a land economics consultancy, economic development consultancy, one of the main ones in Australia, helped run that. And um, once again, worked with a lot of developers, property developers, put together uh, economic reports to help justify developments, and then also did a lot of economic development work for municipalities. So, yeah, I've sort of seen both sides of, of the fence. And, uh, yeah, coming to Canada in 2014 is really when the idea for Local Intel uh, um, sort of came upon me. And, uh, yeah, I can talk a little bit more about that uh, uh, later on. So that's sort of been my journey, a bit of a, a, bit of a zigzag, but, uh, and here I am today. Uh, running a tech company um, with a fantastic team, something I never thought I would do. And that's uh, funny where the world takes us. <laughs> and so it's pretty cool that you're from Tasmania. Um, and I know that you've done a TED Talk um, where you talk about how microeconomies will flourish and you use Tasmania as a case study. I'd just love to maybe get a summary of that as well. Yeah, yeah. So the TED Talk was a great opportunity um, for me. It was when I was doing consulting. So I guess it was another way of, I guess, positioning myself as a bit of a thought leader in in the space. Um, But the TED Talk was premised on uh, the idea that um, I'm sure everyone's heard of this saying, it's not the strongest of the species that survived, nor nor the most intelligent, but the one most responsive to change. Now, uh, that was attributed to Charles Darwin uh, rather incorrectly, but um, it, it was sort of the uh, someone else actually came up with those words. But it was, as we know, what Charles Darwin always said. And you know, coming from the state of Tasmania, it's a lot like the island economies uh, here in Canada, out out uh, out east, where 
they uh, have certain constraints. Uh, their size, uh, the island economies tend to, like Tasmania, tend to be uh, well below on the average metrics. They tend to have higher unemployment rates. They tend to have lower levels of education, lower levels of average income. A lot of the kids that um, get their degrees and what have you, you know, head off to to Melbourne, Sydney and what have you. So there is a bit of a, a brain drain, particularly uh, around the time that I was sort of coming through those sort of you know, post-school years. So I, like everyone else, had to leave to find a job. And what my TED Talk was really about was talking about uh, Tasmania's history and its, its inability to adapt to the times. And uh, Tasmania had sort of, um, you know, through the 1800s, 1900s, really doubled down on industrial type uh, industry, you know, hydroelectric um, to then offer cheap electricity to heavy industry. And, and it made it very susceptible to sort of changes that happened outside the state. And when things would, when an economic downturn would happen, the state would absolutely just be you know, obliterated. And it really, it, it lacked that capacity to adapt to change. And so what my talk was about was some of the key fundamentals required within a, within a small island economy to increase its ability to adapt to change um, and therefore adapt to new ways um, of driving the economy, new types of industries. Uh, and then, you know, even as those new industries come along, not getting too fixated on those and giving people and the population and the economy itself, um, you know, building that capacity. And it's a long-term thing. It's not something we can do overnight. Uh, you know, putting together those ingredients to enable the state to increase its uh, ability to adapt to change. And thankfully, um, you know, a lot of that was sort of happening already in the state and it has started adapting. It's moving into a lot like the, the island economies here in Canada into a clean green type approach um, and everything that sort of hangs off that. And I guess broader uh, cultural trends are heading in that direction as well. So it's fantastic to see. But certainly at the time I gave that talk uh, about, I don't know, six, seven years ago, uh, the state wasn't in that strong a, a position. So that was a great opportunity. Cool. And I guess that sort of leads in nicely to what you're doing at Local Intel. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, Local Intel, um, just as you sort of um, mentioned in the in the intro. So we are a tech com technology company. Uh, we make online economic development tools that uh, hundreds of organizations across the U.S. and Canada have added to their, their existing website to do three things. Uh, to promote uh, their community's advantage, what makes their, their uh, location, their municipality, their county, their region, their, their state special, um, to provide information to assist businesses and make better decisions, whether it's entrepreneurs starting their first business, an existing business looking to expand, a developer looking for information to do due diligence. Um, so we provide all the tools that um, uh, our clients can add it to their website for that. And also we have tools to help municipalities and economic developers and the like monitor trends. So that's what we do. And the idea for it really came around those consulting days. Like any consulting firm, uh, consultants are always looking for a product. They always see the, the, the product companies, the technology companies and say, geez, we'd like to do that. Uh, you know, just selling, selling time is hard work. Well, I guess I sort of had the same, the same idea when I was, um, well, a little bit after I was consulting. Came to Canada, had about a month or two on the couch while I was waiting for my visa to come in. And yeah, the idea really started um, you know, bubbling away then. And then when I actually got a job in, in Calgary doing more consulting, I actually uh, didn't negotiate on wage, I negotiated on time. And basically said, I've got this crazy idea, um, technology idea around economic development and helping communities do economic development online. 
um, you know, can I have a few hours here or there instead of uh, any extra money? And uh, they said yes. And that, it was a great firm, Urban Systems. And in short, 2015, um, you know, I, I used a bit of that time and a whole lot of my own time, much to my uh, wife's annoyance, to go out and I talked to nearly 100 uh, folks, uh, whether they were uh, small municipalities in rural Alberta. I flew over to uh, Toronto and met with all, all the major municipalities over there. I went to Vancouver and walked around and I talked to businesses, site selectors, uh, yeah, property developers, just asking a lot of really silly questions. And, you know, by mid-2015, um, I got a lot of feedback and I'd even created some, some sketch, sketches or uh, mock-ups of what this technology, these applications could look like. Then I went back out again and I said, hey, guys, this is what I heard. This is what I come up with. What do you reckon? And by the end of 2015, I'd actually had a, a couple of um, municipalities sign up, sight unseen. It was just me. It was a silly idea and strange accent. And um, they said, there you go. There's a little bit of money. Um, go build it. And that's a big deal for municipalities. They're pretty conservative by nature. And, and uh, so then I said, holy moly, I better go find myself someone who actually knows how to do technology. So I was very fortunate. I found my co-founder, uh, incredible individual um, who just come back from the valley, finished up with a, a startup down there. And um, yeah, we started the company uh, early 2016, got the product out. Late 2016, started building the team and, and rolled the product out towards the end of uh, 2016. So that's sort of um, the journey. I mean, since then, it's been, a, it's been quite a ride. Um, yeah, we've now got our products used in, uh, I think it's 22 US states, um, eight Canadian provinces. Uh, our smallest client, I think, is the town of Bashaw uh, in Alberta. I think it's about 840 people. They've got one of our tools specifically designed for small communities. And some of our better-known clients include Calgary Economic Development, um, over in uh, over your way, we've got um, Coquitlam, Langley just came on, New Westminster, North Vancouver, and then down in the US, um, we've got Texas Economic Development Corporation, Washington, D.C., uh, cities of Cleveland, Fort Lauderdale, New Orleans, uh, Indianapolis Chamber. So, yeah, it's been quite a ride, um, it's, uh, that's for sure. I mean, doing anything from scratch on a product side of things is hard work, but, uh, yeah, we're learning every day. Very cool. And so, I mean, you guys are kind of all over the place in terms of geography, but what is there a particular feature on your platform that's most popular? Uh, yeah, I mean, so we have essentially what it is, we just have a whole bunch. Think of a catalog of little online tools. Think of them as widgets or, you know, apps, if you will. And, you know, we've got over 20 of these and then the community can come in and pick and choose what they want. Uh, based on their needs, um, you know, what they're really focusing on when it comes to economic development, what they're trying to communicate. Um, and then just pick them off the catalog and plug them in. So, yeah, there are some some of those plugins which uh, tend to be very popular. Our, our community profile tool, business climate tool, is probably our most popular. That's one that just gives a broad snapshot of a of a of a region or a municipality. Um, provides can provide a little information of, about uh, a whole bunch of demographics. I think there's about 25 you know different charts, five different dashboards, a whole bunch of information on things like taxes and incentives if they're allowed. Um, cost of living, cost of labor, and, and what have you. So that tends to be our most popular tool, but um, we're always adding new tools uh, to the catalog and, and uh, basically the tools keep getting better and the new tools tend to get um, tend to get picked up faster and faster. So yeah, I'd say that our new tools um, launching very shortly are very much um, uh, under the umbrella of data-driven marketing. So in other words, allowing communities to promote, find and understand and then promote what makes their community special. 
And uh, instead of just limiting that to traditional marketing, which is images and branding and copy, which is great to get people's attention, not that good at keeping people's attention, what we're doing is coming in with a set of tools to to help with uh, with that sort of marketing. So in other words, once you've got people's attention, our sort of interactive dashboards and maps and, and what have you uh, are really great at keeping people engaged on a website and communicating a community strength. So they seem to be uh, pretty popular at the moment. We're selling a whole bunch of those um, at the moment, despite not even being launched yet. So that's super exciting. Yeah, awesome. And so you, you're obviously an entrepreneur and you talked a little bit about how um, some of the tools you have support entrepreneurs. Um, and so I'm just curious, you know, with the current pandemic, people being laid off and maybe trying to pursue their entrepreneurial dreams, do you think that you'll see a similar pattern where people have time at home and want to start pursuing things and may leverage some of the tools that you have? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there was a big uptick um, post um, 2008, 2009, uh, the last crisis. You know, it's, it's human nature. You know, people get let go of their job. Um, they may not have even been enjoying their job that much. They may or may not have already had a bit of an idea and want to go out on their own. Um, and then sometimes, you know, being let go or furloughed or, or what have you gives people the, the opportunity to think seriously about doing something on their own. So, uh, yeah, evidence shows that uh, or suggests, I should say, that there will be an uptake in entrepreneurial activity, if not already, uh, on, account of, uh, on account of COVID. So I guess what we're trying to do, and one of the things that uh, we have seen with our clients, our municipal clients in particular, is um, even those communities, if, for those that don't know, economic development can basically be broken down into three main areas. There are sort of derivatives, I won't get into the detail, but it, number one, business attraction, i.e., municipalities, the economic developers trying to market, promote themselves. What a great place they are. And we want your business to come here and locate here. Everyone knows about Amazon HQ2, the big beauty pageant. Uh, that's the extreme version of that. The second one is business retention and expansion. In other words, economic developers, municipalities working with uh, their existing businesses to help them survive, to help them expand. Uh, and the third type is sort of entrepreneurial development. Now, what I would say pre-COVID, particularly down in the US, when things, where things were going pretty well down there, um, there was a heavy focus uh, on business attraction, marketing, 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 come here, come here, incentives, incentives, and what have you. I can tell you right now due to COVID that a lot of that has changed into business retention and expansion, i.e. trying to help the existing businesses survive um, and hopefully you know, reopen as policy allows. And so we're seeing a lot more of that, and we're also seeing a lot of more of these municipalities pay more attention to their entrepreneurs, uh, getting people back to work, providing them with information and tools where people can actually hopefully, you know, get their business, uh, their idea off the ground. So yeah, so we have certain uh, particular tools. We have a business investment assistant, um, which are really well suited to this. And the reason that, that, that these tools are very focused is because People who are starting their first business, for example, tend to have very different questions than, say, a site selector or a property developer. Okay, so a site selector, property developer, as you guys know, will know exactly what data they want, uh, and they just want good data. They want it fast, and they want to make sure it's accurate and easy to use. Um, you know, people starting their first business, you know, like they've got a bunch of questions even before they get to the data, right? So it's like, okay, I want to do this. How do I start my business? What's the roadmap? What's the, what's the steps? How do I do this? Do I talk to the municipality? Do I go talk to a broker or what do, what do I do? 
Uh, how do I pick a location if it's a bricks and mortar type place? Um, you know, how do I get this funding? How do I do a business plan? So there's a bunch of questions that they have. So where I'm going with this is entrepreneurs quite often will need a bit of education well before they need the data. And then when they get to the data, i.e. doing the market research bit of their, of their um, business plan or what have you, then they're going to need someone to also hold their hand and walk them through how to use the data, which data to use and how to use the data to actually make a meaningful decision. So um, a great deal of our tools have a lot of this education right next to the data so that um, you know, uh, more of these uh, tools and the data can be useful to more types of businesses. So we have seen an uptick. Uh, it's a very long-winded answer to your question. We have seen an uptick in, um, in municipalities really gravitating towards these tools that are going to be more suitable to people who are starting their business or small businesses who need a bit of a helping hand to perhaps uh, adapt themselves or adjust their operations or perhaps pivot into, into something else. Cool. And so what about on like the property development side? Like what were some of the common barriers, um, you know, I guess before and then after COVID and how has that changed? Yeah, I don't know if, um, you know, from, from economic development side of things, what they've seen is, I can tell you that a lot of the site selector activity, particularly down in the US, um, obviously has dropped off. I mean, as, as, uh, it's not surprising. You know, as businesses, uh, greater you know, amounts of uncertainty and what have you, um, people put projects on, on hold. And so one of the big things we've really noticed is there has been, uh, our clients have seen a drop off of, of site selection uh, processes down there. So whether that's a company themselves looking to invest in property, whether it's to lease to put an operation or actually develop a property, you know, that really has pulled back. Um, you know, there are still deals going on. There's still site selection happening. Um, so it's not, it's not completely disappeared, but certainly the market was you know, red hot prior to COVID. Uh, it probably has come back. Um, by by varying varying degrees, so we've really really noticed that. Um, yeah, when it comes to to property uh, side of things, there is no doubt that you know we all know we all know that with with you know people being uh, you know forced to work from home that that's having an impact. And there's a lot of conversation around you know is this a temporary thing or is this a structural thing? So we've been doing a lot of work uh, at Local Intel to see whether or not there's an opportunity for us to help municipalities uh, to perhaps leverage that. Um, so I think there is going to be a, a big impact on, um, on the ability to get more folks uh, working uh, in remote locations um, to, a, to a certain degree. And so, um, like, are you seeing inbounds already for municipalities that are looking to sort of leverage that? Yeah, it's... Um, we certainly, I mean, even before COVID, we got a lot of questions, particularly from smaller uh, rural locations or regional locations or semi-urban locations where quality of life is fantastic, cost of living is super low. Um, you know, so we, we always get people suggesting new tools to add to our, our catalogue. And even before COVID, there were suggestions like, hey, have you got anything that can help really you know, promote and attract a certain type of um, you know, remote, remote workforce? And this, I guess, the, you know, the, the, the broader media, as well as ongoing conversations with our clients, has only reaffirmed that and perhaps, uh, perhaps uh, you know, uh, meant that we need to prioritise coming up uh, with a solution. And, you know, I think, it's, I think it's a good one. I mean, even this morning, I was reading an article on a GovTech uh, blog 
um, about um, some work that uh, they've done down in Oregon about uh, you know how how genuine is this opportunity for more remote communities and non-urban communities to attract remote skilled workers who have the luxury of being able to work from home. And you know the general consensus is yes, um, there is going to be an opportunity there. Communities should start positioning themselves and making sure that they have you know the the prerequisites. Obviously, number one being internet. Um, but at the same time, you know, not all jobs are going to allow workers to be completely remote. So, for example, you know, even Facebook, Facebook are talking about, you know, it's you know three or four days, that's fine, but we need you back in the office for one day, depending on what your role is and what your what your job is. So, I suspect what will happen, and even the, the surveys of workers that I've, I've seen say that you know they don't really want complete hundred, yeah, most don't want complete hundred percent work from home. Why? Because you know we're social animals. Most of us, we have uh, we have a team. We enjoy hanging out. We enjoy getting out of the house, getting out of getting away from the kids, and and what have you occasionally. So you know, I don't um, I don't think there's going to be a wholesale you know mass change, but I think what will happen is that a greater degree of people will have a higher degree of expectation about being able to work from home and being trusted to work from home and the company to support working from home. Um, and that will be sort of a pretty standard expectation moving forward if it is a type of role. And if a company does not offer that, do not support that, um, then that could uh, definitely be uh, detrimental to uh, the, the effectiveness of the company hiring. So I think we will see that trend. Um, and so overall, like if you look at Canada, I guess, what trends are you seeing? And are some provinces and communities have they been faring better than others during this time? Yeah, I think. Look, to be honest, everyone's been knocked around. Um, you know, I don't. Um, I don't keep a, a really close eye on the, you know, on the, the you know GDP and the unemployment levels of every every single community. But what I would say is, um, you know, I've been very surprised how well BC has done compared to uh, Alberta and Calgary in particular got a little bit knocked around for whatever reason. Um, yeah, I was, I was super surprised how well BC and Vancouver did. Uh, I was actually, uh, you know, chatting to uh, chatting to a good friend when we were out there the other day about why that may be so. Um, so yeah, that's been quite impressive. And then of course, you know, it's it's those those provinces which have been stricter, more disciplined, um, that have, that are now allowing their their economy to open up and therefore recover faster. Now clearly, it's going to be a start and stop with with um, you know resurgence of of COVID. It's just going to happen, you know. Um, but uh, what I have noticed is those that put in the hard yards, those provinces that put in the hard yards and had a, you know, had a, uh, a willing um, population uh, are now reaping, reaping the, the, the benefits. So, you know, one of the downsides that, um, that I've noticed back in Australia, I'm not sure if it's happening here, is uh, it's maybe going a little bit too far. Some populations thinking, oh, we don't want to open any borders to... Uh, allow people in and and uh, ruin the, ruin the good work. I mean, uh, there needs to be a balance, particularly those economies that are heavily reliant on tourism. Um, now, clearly, there is a risk. You open the borders, you allow people to come in. But the upside is, your economy is heavily reliant on tourism. You need those people. Um, those tourism businesses are are struggling. I suspect there's probably a bit of that happening out on the east and the Atlantic coast. Um, certainly happening in uh, in Australia. Um, but then you have a part of the population that perhaps isn't as closely attuned with the needs of those tourism businesses that are saying, no, 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 don't let them in. So, you know, there are some real 
real struggles uh, in trying to find what is what is the right the right balance. But you know, I guess uh, for our friends down in the US, and you know, um, most of our business comes from the US. It, it has been interesting to watch the the mixed results uh, or mixed response down there, and now to see what that means for businesses. And you know, they've got a little bit of work to do down there, but um, but yeah, hopefully hopefully things can sort itself out and that businesses can start picking themselves up pretty soon. But uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, the work to do uh, south of the border. And what about, obviously you're in Calgary. Um, what What's the business climate been like in Calgary and, you know, given the impacts of the oil and gas industry, um, you know, do you think that Alberta will, will get its groove back? Yeah, it's interesting. I arrived with, uh, when we arrived here with the family, I think uh, oil was, uh, I think it had just hit peak and then pretty much the day after it started its, uh, started its tumble. So yeah, it's been pretty interesting to watch um, going from, you know, the Calgary glory days of $100 plus oil down to, you know, what it is now. Um, to see a, a community in decline uh, and that quickly has, uh, yeah, it uh, hasn't, hasn't been easy, easy to watch. You know, I've just been, you know, obviously talking to a lot of folks over recent years and Calgary obviously has had its ups and downs for a long time and they're a very resilient and very resourceful community. Um, but there is a general feeling from what I've been told that this time is a bit different. You know, the, it's a different world. It's a different economy. And it's not just a matter of, of riding it out. Yes, there are obviously, um, you know, supply issues and certain you know, things that are, you know, above my pay grade about sort of getting more oil out. But, you know, even from people that, uh, that I hope, you know, that respect their view and that pretty well across the issue say that, you know, um, that may not necessarily turn things around completely. So I guess, you know, if we come back to the, 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 the concept of uh, adapting, you know, so what we're seeing, I guess, is um, successive governments uh, recognising that, the um, industry needs to adapt. There is still going to be demand for what uh, Calgary produces when it comes to oil and gas. And, uh, and yeah, it's just a matter of obviously uh, the industry adapting and uh, as, as it can. Um, how, that industry, how the industry adapts, I don't know. As I said, it's above my pay grade. What I'm also seeing though is, you know, like, um, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So, you know, we are seeing an uptick in entrepreneurial activity. You know, Calgary's never necessarily been known as a tech town. Um, and, you know, it's got a long way to go before it is. But we are seeing, um, you know, I'm not a political fellow, but we are seeing successive governments in their own way uh, encouraging uh, the growth of Calgary's tech sector, both in terms of talent and the talent pipeline and making sure that the universities here uh, are pumping through the grads that the companies need. In, um, uh, need to hire, as well as the incentives that um, you know high risk startups need to uh, to get off the ground and, and give them a fighting chance. So you know that is positive, and all I hope is that um, you know when the economy bounces back, and uh, you know fingers crossed it, it it will, that uh, people won't forget about the idea of diversification. You know not just tech, I mean, there's plenty of other things as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's I think as long as the the city and the province uh, continues to focus on diversification and playing to its strengths and leveraging those strengths in its diversification strategy. There's no reason why Calgary can't be, you know, booming, uh, you know, again within the decade. Great. 
And so what are your thoughts, um, if you're comfortable sharing on sort of how the government's responded to support economic development and recovery? Yeah, so I mean, it's, 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 you know, as a business owner who has been impacted by, uh, definitely by COVID, you know, we've had a bunch of deals put on hold. Um, you know, a lot of our municipal clients have uh, had budgets heavily, heavily impacted, particularly down the US where their revenues just in some areas are actually tied to a, a sales tax. And of course, what's been highly impacted, retail, hospitality, leisure, all of which, um, you know, a lot of them produce a sales tax. And so, yeah, down the US in particular, um, you know, budgets have been shrinking. Um, they've been letting a lot of people go down in government, uh, government jobs down there. And it's, it's been very similar here in, uh, in, in Canada. In Canada as well. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's, it's been tough for government. So one thing I will say, the federal response, I believe the unprecedented response, which in Canada is, has been very similar to the Australian ones, very similar to you know, a lot of the European ones, um, whereby they offer um, you know, the, the, the wage subsidy and what have you, that has been incredible. And it has made a huge difference to our business. It means that we haven't had to let anyone go. Uh, it means that we can continue to build product and work our backsides off on you know, finding those um, tools from clients that still have money. Um, and that's been, you know, just, um, yeah, amazing. It's been really, really good. So, um, you know, uh, there's always concerns about the debt we're racking up. Um, and that is obviously a concern because, you know, today's debt is tomorrow's taxes. But uh, but what I will say is that, um, yeah, the uh, the federal response has been has been quite useful. So, you know, at a at a provincial level, um, you know, we our business hasn't seen hasn't been in in the industry that that has sort of really qualified for the for the uh, for the uh, provincial response. But uh, you know, I'm aware that they have been doing things, and um, and uh, yeah, it has been quite good. So, you know, I'm uh, yeah, proud to be a. I'm not a Canadian yet. I'm actually uh, I would have been uh, had my citizenship ceremony had COVID not turned up but I can tell you that uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm proud of Canada and how it's responded. I'm proud of um, the government and how it's helping businesses. Just got to make sure they don't take it too far of course because at some point businesses do need to work out whether they can be sustainable in the long run um, and so I think the federal's response has been you know, more than enough uh, what, uh, which is fantastic. So yeah it's, um, it's, been, it's, been, it's been a good response so far. And so I guess pulling on the thread of businesses, um, what do you think businesses can start preparing um, in terms of economic recovery? What can they start doing? Yeah, look, I think any business that, um, well, yeah, every business should have, taken, should have taken the opportunity or should be taking the opportunity to completely reevaluate um, what it is they're doing, you know, it's, and how they operate. Uh, my brother, for example, um, you know, back in Australia runs... Um, uh, you know, craft breweries, got a bunch of different shops, uh, brew zone beer, you know, restaurants, pubs, all that sort of stuff. And he put it really, really well. And he basically said, we, we're using the opportunity to go back to square one and really understand every element of our business and um, just uh, and make sure that it's as good as it can be. Because quite often when you're in a business and you just head down, you're just doing everything you can to, you know, survive, get the deals, build the cash, um, it's hard to think strategically. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to, to take that step back, take that deep breath and think about 
what can we be doing better? Are we actually, you know, from a strategic as well as a day-to-day tactically, are we actually doing the things that we should be doing? Is there a better way of doing it? Are we looking around and, you know, considering alternatives? Um, and I think that COVID has, has provided that opportunity. Um, so, you know, if there is a silver lining out of these very difficult days, um, then I, would, I have noticed a lot of businesses using this as an opportunity to really reevaluate their, op- their operations and making those changes um, yeah, if and when, um, you know, they can. So do you have any, um, and maybe, I mean, not to bring this up, but do you have any specific examples of businesses or municipalities that are, are being particularly creative? Yeah, I think, um, I, I don't know, there's many. Like, many municipalities, I mean, one of the things I've seen many municipalities is both in the US and Canada, is they've found that their role has changed a little bit. And what I mean by that is economic developers, as I mentioned previously, quite often were you know, heavily sort of about the promotion and trying to like attract the attention of investment, site selectors, property developers, and, and what have you, you know, the kissing contest and, and, and what have you. But when all that sort of dried up you know, during COVID, all of a sudden, um, they needed to actually get out, uh, pound the pavement, and actually, you know, uh, re-engage. And this is not everyone, but some of them, you know, re-engage with their existing businesses. You know, those businesses that have been there year after year, employing people through thick and thin, and really seek to understand how they're doing and what their needs are, and what the the economic development team of the municipality can can do for them. And that the um, economic developers have also adapted themselves to become a bit of the, the central source of information that's been um, that is available when it comes to business assistance. So we know that there's all sorts of programs. So you know whether it's federal programs, provincial programs, regional programs, municipal programs, particularly in the US, like it's even more complicated down there. Um, and so it can be overwhelming for a lot of businesses. So it, uh, economic developers have 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 positioned themselves as the the holders and the gatherers of all these different um, programs for support, as well as um, regulatory requirements for reopening. And um, the, the, the really switched on ones have become that trust, trusted source of truth, uh, where businesses can go there, they can ask the questions, they can find out, does this one apply program apply to me? How do I apply to this? I've done this, or you know, I'm going to reopen. Can you just walk me through, you know, what the requirements are for my type of business? And uh, so that those sort of economic developers, those municipalities, where they're small, where they're large, um, that are doing that in a very personal touch. So yes, putting it online, but then also being available in person, uh, that has been really impressive. And and we talk about what might carry on after the crisis. And I hope that that's one. I hope that that's one thing where a lot of economic developers who have become uh, closer to their business community um, and become, you know, made that effort to become the holder of information um, about, you know, helping businesses get that financing and what have you. I hope they continue to do that. And, uh, and uh, yeah, because it's, it's a really valuable thing that surprisingly enough, um, wasn't always, you know, done by every municipality. Hmm. Um, I think that's a really awesome point to sort of close on so that we have time for questions, but maybe I'll just sneak one more question in. Um, obviously you've accessed a lot of resources internally with your own um, business, but I'm just curious if there's anything that you spend time on um, reading to update sort of on the industry and what's going on. 
Yeah, uh, podcast is obviously a, a good one. Um, so there's a few um, software as a service podcasts I like listening to. There's a few of those um, different types of people that interview, you know, great people. Um, so yeah, I'm a big fan of a podcast. I try to have, always have a, a business book uh, reading in the morning over a cup of tea just to just to do that. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, a, I'm a big reader, a big listener when I can. And uh, I try to mix things up a fair bit, to be honest. So, um, yeah, I don't just always read tech. Uh, I don't always listen to, to tech. I try to try to mix things up and, and get different perspectives. Um, flavor of the month at the moment is is uh, is marketing. Um, so uh, so yeah, so doing a lot of lot of research and reading and uh, into into all that. So yeah, nothing specific, but just uh, just a big fan of continually learning. I think that's an essential ingredient. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, great. Thank you so much for that. Um, I think we'll flip it over to Steve now just to facilitate some of the questions that came through on the line. Um, and just as a reminder for anyone listening, if you'd like to submit a question, you can drop it into the chat function or if you're on Facebook, just drop it in as a comment. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Dave. Um, a handful of questions have come in, a few about your product. So maybe we'll kind of start there. So the first question is, um, where does the data come from for your product? Does the customer, i.e. the municipality, need to be ready with APIs or do you help them get that side of their business sorted out? Yeah, good question. So as I mentioned, we've got over 20 tools and the vast majority of those, yeah, we are the ones that, uh, that gather the data ahead of time. And so where does our data come from? Well. You know, we heavily leverage open data sources at the federal, at the state or provincial, at the regional and at, at uh, the municipal side of things. So in short, there's a huge amount of you know, uh, location data, economic data, social data that's out there. Absolutely huge, huge amount. So um, yeah, so we basically when we, we build a tool, we obviously get the data for it. We get the data for the entire country at the same time. We suck it up into our engine. And so that means that when a, a customer comes along and says we want that tool, that tool, then uh, then we set the tool up, flick the flick the uh, the uh, the data on. So it's not like we everything's custom. It's more like sort of switching on than than building from scratch. So we do have tools that we can soak up data that only the municipality has. So quite often uh, municipalities, regions will have data that that uh, no one else has. It might be zoning data, it might be around growth locations related to a 20-year growth strategy or an area structure plan or something like that. So we have um, a set of tools where we can, yeah, we can plug in uh, via REST services into, um, you know, uh, Esri ArcGIS server and we can soak up, you know, their environmental layers, their land use planning layers, transportation, environment, community facilities. So if that's the tools that the client picks and they want to share that data over the top of what we already have in those tools then we can quite easily do that what we generally find is most municipalities either lack the time uh, or the data so there is a preference towards those tools that we can set up um, you know using the vast amounts of data that we either um, get from open or we, we also buy a bunch of data as well gotcha um, can you, here's another one for you about, uh, showing the, the value. Can, can you show a customer that, uh, you know, the funds or, or whatever your product generated for their community? Could, like, is that something you can do after them using or having the product for a year or two? You can say, look, we did X because of this product. Yeah, it's uh, it's a good question. We do get that a lot. You know, people want to know what's your return on investment uh, for the subscription fee that they pay. 
And, you know, at the same time, it's a bit, uh, it is, you know, we do view our tools essentially as marketing tools, using data to market. So like any marketing tool, it can at times be a little bit uh, difficult to quantify, but we do our best. So obviously we have analytics across all the tools and because our tools, uh, most of them integrate into uh, existing websites, we can obviously measure uh, how many people are using them, how long they're using them for. Um, so there's that engagement level. Um, we obviously work hard to get good news stories and testimonials. So for example, the town of Sundre, um, I always pronounce that incorrectly, but I think that's how it's pronounced up in uh, Alberta. Um, they used our tools um, to, as part of uh, attracting a $10 million uh, hemp investment. Um, so yeah, to, to be able to show during the due diligence process that they had certain uh, prerequisites required of this factory when it came to, to workforce. So having those sort of testimonials as well as you know, various others uh, certainly is, is, is very useful. But you know, we always say this, we're always very open about the fact that you know, uh, for a business to make a decision to start, locate or expand in a particular location, um, that is a complex decision with many, many, many moving parts. Uh, so can we you know, say that this tool will create uh, you know, 5.5 times jobs, uh, you know, that would be disingenuous uh, to say so. Right. And you mentioned that you guys get a lot of this data that's, you know, open source from across the country, across a whole region. Do you aggregate that, that data across all the different data sources so that you can kind of get the bigger picture? Like you mentioned some of the, the cities here in the, the lower mainland that are customers of yours. Is there does the product show what, what's going on in that specific city or can you show the, the whole lower mainland for them? Is that, is that how it yeah, works? We, yeah, we mainly focus on, on the municipality. Um, so that doesn't say that the, some of the data sets go well beyond the borders. So you think about uh, our customer tool. So someone can type in a industry, say, I don't know, like pet store or dentist or something like that. And uh, it will give them some information on their target demographics and then it will give them a tool to then work out <clears throat> you know, how many of those um, target customers, you know, aged between 35 and 55 are within a certain, you know. Um, now, we know that customers uh, don't recognise municipal boundaries, so you know, quite often our data will go beyond the boundaries. Um, but there is a, you know, to a, there is a limit. So right now, we do limit, I guess, the, the, what we present to whatever is in the interest of the client rather than being sort of a, a one-stop shop where you can go Google, uh, sorry, search any community in, in lower mainland or something like that you know we quite often get asked on the business side hey can you guys just do a one-stop shop version of what you're doing so i can search you know 10 different locations across the country uh in the one spot um and so that has quite often crossed our mind um it's just uh, a matter of priorities at the moment um great i've got two more questions um for you maybe three actually another one popped in here um, so if someone wanted to play with the product, is it, do you have like a municipality you would send them to of like, oh, this city or town, they've got all the, all the, all the tools and all the fun stuff. So someone can go play with that to see how it all works. Or do you do it? Is there like a demo they can find on the website? How does it work? Yeah. So they'd get you, yeah, you'd have to go to, to um, one of our municipal customers. You can link out, uh, on our website to, to a few of them, but in, in BC, um, yeah, the economic development, uh, I don't know, web pages or websites of, as I said, New Westminster, uh, Coquitlam, Langley, um, ba, 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 North Vancouver, 
um, Squamish, they all, and actually uh, Campbell River, City of Campbell River, have a uh, have nearly all our all our well at least 15, 14 or fifteen of our tools. So um, yeah, if you head to any of those, and sometimes our clients don't put their tools uh, in the most straightforward places, <laughs> so you might have to dig a little bit. But if you have a look at any of those, you'll um, you'll get a bit of a selection. So some of those, like Coquitlam, I think have four of our tools, and yeah. you know Campbell River have. Yeah, like I said, 14 or 15. So it's really about um, just digging around and, and having a bit of a look-see. Great. And so a couple more questions popped in as you're talking. One of them is, uh, what's the pricing for the products? How do you charge per, per tool, per contract, based on the size of the municipality and their ability to pay? How, how does that work? Yeah, it's a bit of a combination of all those. So it's an annual subscription. Classic Software is a service play. And it depends on it how many of those modules and which modules that they get. So look, we've actually got a, um, a module for small communities called the Business and Investment Assistance. It's a bit of an all-rounder. And if you're under 25,000, uh, they actually get it for free for a year. And why? Because small communities are ridiculously risk adverse, especially when it comes to technology. So it's sort of get them in the door, prove our, our value, and then um, and then go from there. So, you know, that's a one extreme example for small communities. Um, and then, you know, for, for most normal municipalities, it might vary from $500 a year, you know, upwards of, uh, you know, $15,000 a year if you just wanted to go crazy and, and get everything, the kit, kit and caboodle, maybe a little bit more than that with the new tools. So it really does vary, but um, it needs to because every municipality has its own budget, its own folk, its own priorities and, and what have you. So having that sort of modular, flexible approach is, is an absolute must. And you know, things change from year to year. So being able to add, subtract and, and adapt uh, is critical. So switching gears a little bit, this question is interesting. It was, it was when you mentioned the Amazon H2Q or HQ2 thing, they said, um, how does it work when municipalities give benefits to businesses that set up shop, i.e. Amazon? Is that normal? Like can, can all municipalities, you know, can municipalities give tax breaks? Is that a normal thing or only American thing? Yeah, it varies from, it varies from location. So you're not allowed to in Alberta, for example. You know, by law, municipalities are not allowed to offer um, incentives. Um, and, but down in Texas, it's the complete opposite, where they actually have a, ta a tax, a legislated tax, um, you know, 0 .00 something or other, and that money uh, all goes towards incentives, which um, local economic development corporations can can use. And uh, yeah, to be frank, uh, down in Texas, for example, is probably the extreme example where um, a business will will pitch and put their case to the Economic Development Corporation saying, this is what I want to do. These are all the benefits. So classic sort of, you know, any property developers out there will know about, you know, these are the economic uh, impacts, social impacts. These are direct jobs that will be created. These are the indirect jobs that will be created both during construction and also operation. And these are all the flow-ons and the benefits, blah, 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 blah. Can I please have X thousand dollars, please? And um, so then the EDC will take that. The Economic Development Corporation will take that. They will do their own assessment. Uh, the, the rigor of that assessment will vary depend on the Economic Development Corporation. Some have um, subscribed to their own models, which they'll plug the stuff in and decide whether or not it, it makes sense. Others will probably just put their finger in the air and they'll say yes or no. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's big business down there. And it does actually um, impact the way that economic development is done. So, you know, when you don't have strong incentives and uh, versus you do, 
as an economic developer, it means you have to adjust on how you do economic development. Right. And I think, uh, I think it was the other day, Elon Musk announced that he's opening another one of those gigafactories in Austin. I'm sure that had something to do with it. Do you, yeah. do you have an opinion of like Alberta versus Texas? Is there a better, is, is one way better than the other? Like Alberta not being allowed to do it, Texas being allowed to do it? Is it? Well, yeah, this is it's a whole debate. I mean, Texas has argued they've been very successful using incentives and it's a big, strong economy. It's hard to argue otherwise, but you know, how much of that is attributed to, to incentives? That's, that's harder to say. There's a lot of literature out there that would argue that, that incentives are um, a zero sum game um, because essentially, you know, you're basically just, you know, if you're, if, if you're, Throwing more money, just like happened in HQ2, if you're throwing more money at, um, you know, that company, it means the county next door is not going to get it. And for most of these incentive deals, these are typically not companies that are competing, you know, uh, are putting New York versus Dallas versus. These are companies that are either, we're going to go on that side of the county border or we're going to go on that side of the county border. So are you going to give us, you know, who's going to give us more money? So that's a, that's a zero-sum game when you really think about it. Um, so, look, there are two camps. Um, and, you know, I listen and have these conversations every time I go to one of these economic development conferences. And, uh, you know, there's, there's great stories from incentives. And then there's, there's other stories of just, you know, great economic development programs that have been incredibly successful and not a single incentive has been involved. So I don't think there's necessarily a, a, a better way of doing it. Uh, it's just horses to courses or what you're legally allowed to do through the, the province or state legislation. Do you, for your data, do you see any opportunities that the data shows for certain sectors or, or industries? Like, do you, is there any like leading indicators where you guys see like, oh, wow, this, you know, in three years, this certain municipality is going to do X because you, you guys have access to such a vast amount of data? Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of that sort of forecasting stuff where uh, we want to move into that. So one of our new tools, Industry Advantages, that we just created uh, it doesn't look forward, but what it does do is it does analyze emerging industries over the last uh, few years. In other words, um, industries that are on the up, becoming increasingly specialized uh, and growing employment. And therefore, if you, you know, extrapolate going forward, um, they could be potential you know, tomorrow's uh, next big industry. So that's when one of the, the first steps towards that. And the data set we use for that actually is using machine learning. So that was our little first foray into that, and that's exciting. We're actually working on a new tool now with an economics uh, firm out of Ontario um, related to the economic impact um, uh, in the future uh, six to 12 months of COVID uh, based on different scenarios. So that's super exciting. So we're actually, uh, they're, the, they're a bunch of Queen's lecturers that have their own consultancy doing amazing work. They normally work with World World. Uh, health organization and United Nations and the like um, so they're pretty smart cats um, and so we're partnering with them to work out how we can create a really beautiful smart tool that does look forward based on different scenario analysis so yes yeah, that's the direction we, that we definitely want to go uh, there's a huge amount of pot uh, potential to you know really gather in a lot of the data that we have do the pattern analysis and then start making some recommendations based on um, you know, based on uh, what we're seeing opportunities and where perhaps gaps exist in the market. So that's definitely a direction that uh, we'd like to head. That's exciting. Um, I've got two more questions for you and then uh, we should be right on time here. So what, uh, what do you think will happen with job and job growth coming out of the pandemic? Uh, well, 
yeah, it's it's interesting that we we just created a new tool called the Industry Job Tracker for down in the US. It tracks um, employment across 12 industries across uh, every metro, major metro in, in the US. So we're already seeing, you know, big bounce backs um, from those industries that were really, really hard hit. So leisure, hospitality, manufacturing, uh, and retail. So clearly, you know, the artificial suppression that we put on those industries, it makes sense that, that they're gonna come back to a certain, certain extent. But the question is, how far are they gonna come back? Are they gonna come back all the way? Um, so that's, that's a real, a real question there. So, and, and the reason for that is I talked about some businesses looking at how they operate and looking at improving how they operate or changing how they operate. And that may well have an impact on headcount. You know, one of our advisors, for example, um, you know, is a consultant for one of the big management consultancy firms and they do a lot of work with the bank. And the bank said that, um, this period where everyone's been working from home, um, has really shown that uh, A, there's a lot of meetings that no one ever needed, and B, there's a lot of people that perhaps aren't doing a lot. And so, um, so I think that there will be some longer term impacts on, uh, on how much uh, employment comes back. So yes, it will come back. Uh, it'll just be interesting to see sort of what's a little bit different this time next year. Right. So last question, but before we do that, what's the best way for people to find out, learn more, contact you? What would you prefer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously, um, check out our website. There's a bunch of really cool stuff on that, www.ecdev.org. So that's E-C-D-E-V.org. Uh, and if you're wondering about the .org, uh, it's just you know government friendly. So that's why we, we use that. Um, so yeah, go check that out. Uh, welcome to, um, to drop me an email as well, Dave at ecdev.org. Always happy to have a chat. Uh, you know, especially to people on the business side, um, because, you know, our tools are public facing. The uh, client may be the, the government entities, but the end users are, uh, you know, businesses, property developers, site selectors, entrepreneurs and the like. So we're always keen to get more feedback on how we can make our tools uh, more valuable. So, um, yeah, please reach out. There's even a little uh, chatbot thing there as well on the website. So um, plenty of options just to reach out and I can give you a call. Gotcha. And this, uh, so this last question is just asking about small versus big. And it says, how do you help small towns versus big cities? Are they, they using different, different versions of the tools, different tools altogether? Yeah. So I guess, um, small towns will tend to be more focused. You recall, I mentioned sort of the three different types of economic development. So business traction, business retention, expansion, and entrepreneurial growth. Small towns will tend to be a bit more focused a um, bit more when it comes to waiting on the business retention expansion and trying to help their entrepreneurs. Um, so yeah, we do see um, our tools that are more in those buckets, um, you know, heavily, heavily used by small communities and plus they have less money. So they tend to, they look for value. Um, whereas the bigger communities um, like, you know, for example, Winnipeg Economic Development, Calgary, Washington, Texas, you know, for them, it's all about using data to promote their wow factor to basically say, this is us. This is what's great about us. You know, here's a, you know, all you need to know about logistics. Here you need to know about where we're growing and where the, the opportunities are. Here's our land use and, uh, and the sign. Here's how you get from, you know, the airport to how close we are to these various different markets. So we see that um, there's a strong uptake by those communities um, to really, you know, have a lot of those tools that, that use data to, to sell them uh, and their location. That wraps another episode of the Addy Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe to get the next episode. For more information, visit addyinvest.com. Until next time.